Oh, it's so good to be with you this morning. As I uh, said earlier, my name is Jake, Jake Gillespie. My father came here in the late 80s to pastor a church over towards Lou, similar time that John came. And uh, great to be following the wake of good men. You know, it's really precious to be like that. I remember as a boy going down to Helston, and my father was preaching there. And uh, isn't it good to be part of the family of God? To know that I could knock on Pete's door and say, Pete, I'm in trouble. You've got to help me out. And he's not my pastor per se, but we're part of the family of God. Isn't it good to know? Really good to know. Well, I'm a builder by trade. I'm married. I've got a couple of kids. This is not my vocation. I've got three kids. Well done. Thank you, John, for reminding me. <laughs> this is not my, my vocation, but it is one of my passions is to preach. And this morning, I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to the Word of God. If I say something that's not in line with the Word of God, you can throw it out the window. But if I say something that's in line with the Word of God, you've got to listen. Because it's God speaking and it's not Jake Gillespie speaking. You know, I was given the opportunity to preach and I said, would you give me a subject? And they said, no, you can just preach on whatever you'd like. And there's a concern always there for me. I'm like, what if I just get up and just say what's one of my bugbears and get up and rant at everybody? There's that danger, isn't there? Because you can just say whatever you want. So I'll be like, all you lazy people, you should work harder or something like that. (laughs) There you go. You know a bit about me there. (laughs) But the reason that I picked this subject this morning, this passage, is because there's a question that God's God's been challenging me with, and in the answer, I've been finding something just remarkable. It's been changing me and shaping me, and it's a passion that's begun to burn in my heart, and in some ways, I wanted the opportunity to study it more for myself. So I'm preaching to myself this morning. By God's grace, I want to be changed this morning, as I speak even. And this is the question, what does it look like for a Christian to stand in the face of suffering? What does it look like for a Christian to stand in the face of suffering? When it's going on, what does it look like? And therefore, by extension, how can I be like that? Two questions, what does it look like and how can I be like that? And this morning when I mention suffering, I'm speaking very broadly I'm talking about everything from direct persecution, full-blown persecution, including natural disasters, bereavement, terminal illness, right the way down to the stresses and strains of life. I can remember plugging my children into the car seats. would drive me insane. By God's grace, they can click themselves in now. But I would just be absolutely losing my mind because of the... And I'm including that. So everything, I am, because I think biblically, oftentimes it says when you face trials of various kinds, so it's all in there, from the worst imaginable suffering, my wife is with my mother-in-law who recently lost her mother, weeping and wailing, from the worst imaginable to the seemingly trivial I'm referring to it all today. And so here's the situation. These are four reasons why I think this subject is crucial. Number one, as I look at the state of the world, I think about Russia and ISIS and economic turmoil and climate change and all those kind of things. I see that on a macro level, difficulty on the rise. And I think that aligns with scripture as well. On a macro level, difficulty is on the rise. Reason number one why I think this is important. Reason number two, as our Western culture increasingly casts off our Christian heritage, 
being a simple Bible-believing Christian is going to become harder. And we are likely to face increasing hostility and perhaps persecution. Reason number two. So number three. Jesus said in John 16, 33, In this world you will have trouble. Promise of Jesus Christ. Like it or not, difficulty, strife will be a part of life. Cancer, job loss, miscarriages, toil at work, difficulty in the daily grind at home. Suffering and pain will be part of life. Macro level, it's coming. In our culture, it's getting tougher. Jesus promised, and in reality, there's going to be difficulties. Number four, on top of all that fact, I think the church in the West has increasingly misunderstood and miscommunicated the Bible's teaching on trials and suffering such that we have become expectant of less trouble in life. I'm a Christian. I should have less. And too often the teaching has been, there shouldn't be suffering in your life. And if there is, there's something wrong. You've done something wrong. The main way Jesus wants to help you is to remove the suffering from your life. Now, I believe in healing. I believe in rescue. The Bible's full of it. But I don't see that as the main way in Scripture That God helps us in our suffering. So this is what I see. Things are increasingly unstable. Culture is becoming more hostile. The Bible, including Jesus, promises that we'll have trouble. And we are increasingly incapable of coping with suffering when it comes. It comes when we go, I'm falling apart here. Time and time again, the question is, why, why is there suffering? And it's tough. I'm not saying it's not tough. But time and time again, the question is, I don't know what to do because there's suffering in my life. So I believe that this morning God wants to radically reshape our thinking so that when the trouble comes, we are not only ready to face it, we are able to face it in such a way that people say, can you give me a reason for the hope that you have? Peter says that. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And the implication being, you ought to be hopeless. Right? But you still have hope. So can you please tell me why you have hope? Oh, that I would suffer like that. Too often I go to work and I'm like this. And the people in my workplace aren't seeing somebody who has hope in suffering. They're seeing somebody who's underneath the suffering. Hebrews, this book, was written to a church under fire. Trials, difficulties of various kinds, sin, the world, the devil, was out to get them. Just like it's out to get you and I. And the Hebrews were right on the brink of abandoning their faith, of shrinking back, of giving in because of the suffering that they were facing. It was getting tough. It was a few years since Jesus had died and rose from the grave. They were kind of starting to forget and they were thinking, is it really worth it? Maybe today you're feeling like that. Today you're in good company. Today the book of Hebrews was written for you. Praise God for the music and the words. All of it, I think, has been leading. The Lord wants to speak. This book was written to encourage the Hebrews and us to stand, to hold on, to not give up, to endure in the face of trials. 
And the writer gives reasons and exhortations and reasons why we can stand in the face of trials. And the main reasons are based around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now this is a gospel church, and so you guys know this stuff, right? Jesus and all he has done for us. How much greater he is than angels. And he is now crowned with glory and honor, it says in Hebrews. How he tasted death, drinking it to the dregs, so that you and I don't have to taste death. How he made full atonement for our sins. When I was young, growing up, Christian family and stuff, I didn't necessarily have this deep sense of guilt because of how evil I was. Let me tell you, as I've gotten older, I am more aware of my sin than ever. In the morning, when the kids are moaning, and the wife and I are struggling, we've got to get out the door, I realize, I am a sinner. But Jesus came to take away my guilt. This morning, if you're feeling guilty, did you know that you can have your guilt removed? Hebrews tells us how much better he is than Moses. Moses led this people of Israel through the desert, into the promised land, into rest. And how much better Jesus is, because he leads us into the rest of heaven. How much better... He's better than any priest, any guru, any self-help person, any hero of yours, because he stands perfectly in the gap between God and you, so that you can have full access into the presence of God. And he is able to change your heart. What an amazing thing. If you come to yourself and realize, I don't actually really want to do what's right, God can change that. He can change your heart. We can stand in the face of trial because of who Jesus is. Amen? My anchor holds within the veil. And it's because he is my anchor. So those are the main reasons that the writer of Hebrews gives. But he also gives warnings and exhortations. And our passage that we're looking at particularly this morning, Hebrews, 32 to, Hebrews 10, 32 to 34, is sandwiched between a warning and an exhortation. Warns us in verse 26 of chapter 10 through to verse 31 that if you give up, if you throw in the towel, if you give in to sin, after tasting God's goodness even, you will face judgment. It's a, a very stark warning. And then the passage that we're looking at concludes in verse 35 with an exhortation to not give up. And in many ways, verse 35 is a summary of the purpose of the book of Hebrews. It says there, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So this is the picture. They're under fire. And the writer is writing and lifting up Jesus and saying, don't give up. And he's writing and he's warning them, it's going to be bad for you if you give up. And then he's exhorting them, don't give up. Don't shrink back. Don't abandon your faith. Don't forsake Jesus. This morning, don't give up. Don't shrink back. When the trials come, keep going. But, what does that look like? What does it look like? Writer of Hebrews, can you put some flesh on the bones? Can you show us, what does that look like to not shrink back? You keep saying, don't shrink back, and you give me reasons not to shrink back. But what does it look like? And that's what I think. 32 to 34 is about. Can you pass me my glass of water? I believe 32 to 34 is there to answer this very question. What does it look like 
for Christians to stand in the face of suffering. 32 to 34 of chapter 10, there is an example. It gives us a vision, an inspiration of what it can look like for a Christian to stand in the face of suffering and difficulty. So we're back to our questions. What does it look like? And how can I be like that? Let's read this passage here. Hebrews 10, verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest. In the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Picture the scene. It's first century Roman Empire. To name the name of Christ, to speak up for him, to urge others to follow him, will land a person in jail. And not a nice, cozy jail. A dungeon. A kind of dungeon where if your friends don't bring you food, you starve. Because they're not looking after you in there. And your fr- if your friends come to your aid, their identification with you will mean that you, they also are at odds with the establishment. And so therefore, they and their property are fair game. Fair game. People are in prison. If you go to their help, you're fair game because you're standing with the people in prison. And so there's a get-together. There's a home group meeting. And they say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're in prison. They're starving. And they decide, they're our brothers and sisters. We will not abandon them. Let the chips fall where they may. We're going to the prison. They gather supplies. They're on their way. And they look over their shoulder as they're going. And their neighbors are ransacking their houses, graffitiing the walls. Christians, get out of here. We do not want you taking everything that's valuable, destroying the rest. And they turn to one another as they're going, and they say, it's worth it. It's worth it. And welling up inside them is a confidence and a joy that they're in the will of God and their hope is in heaven. That's what it looks like for a Christian. Hello. That's what it looks like for a Christian to stand in the face of suffering. And so there's three things that I see under this heading. Three things that I see. Christians that stand in the face of suffering, number one, endure in it. We okay? Christians that stand in the face of suffering, endure in it. Verse 32, remember those earlier days after you received the light when you stood your ground In a great contest. Sometimes God grants miraculous escape. But not always. And dare I say, not normally. Not normally in the New Testament. Not normally in Christian experience. Jesus said again, in this world you will have trouble. Promise. And like it or not... This side of heaven, there will be difficulties. And did Jesus promise to remove them? No, but what he did promise was, I give you my peace. In this world, you will have troubles. I'll take them all away. No. In this world, you will have troubles. I give you my peace. In First Peter, again, it says, Beloved, 
do not be surprised, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But look at these people's responses. They stood their ground in it. And the Greek for that word, standing ground, is talking about bearing up under a weight. The weight's coming, and you're still standing. And then a bit more weight comes on you, and you're still standing. And a bit more weight comes, and you're still standing. Bearing up in it. And did you know that you can face trial like that? Did you know that you can see the doctor and him give you bad news, and you can face trial like that to stand up in it? Not rescue from, courage in. And don't we know that this rings so true for us? In the hymns that we sing so often, Amazing Grace, what's one of our favorite verses? Through many dangerous toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Will your anchor hold? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and secure while the billows roll. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Why do those bless our hearts so much? Because we know this to be true. Men, young men, which is stronger? To be rescued from it or to stand in it? It's a hundred years since World War I. When Remembrance Day comes, I get inspired. I want to say, I want to stand too. Can I stand? They did an amazing thing and I want to be one of them. Did you know that Christians that stand in the face of trial endure in it? Number two, Christians that stand in suffering embrace selflessness. Verse 33, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated, and you sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. In the full knowledge of what it was going to cost, in the full knowledge of what it was going to cost, they identified with the needy. Missionaries used to go out to Africa, and I've been to the Ivory Coast, and it was known as the missionary graveyard. And it became habit to pack your things in a coffin. Because the diseases were so unusual, you'd get there, you'd last a couple of months, and you'd die. I've been to one of the missionary places in Abidjan. There's a graveyard there of people from England and the rest of the West who went there to tell people about Jesus Christ, knowing full well it would cost them their lives. Christians who stand in the face of trial can embrace selflessness. Did you know that you can live like that? Did you know that when the trials come, you can be so besotted with God, and so in love with other people, and so sure of your destiny, that your own well-being becomes secondary, and you can abandon selfishness and embrace selflessness in the midst of the suffering and of the trial. You can go to the mission field, You can abandon the house. Maybe you've just retired down here and you're looking forward to 20 years of enjoying it. You know, you can drop it all and go to Syria and say, I'm here to tell people about Jesus and I don't mind what happens to me because I know where I'm going and so I'm going to stand. 
Christians that stand in suffering can embrace selflessness. Number three, Christians that stand in suffering experience joy. Verse 34, this is the bit that just blew my mind. You sympathized with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you had a better possession and an abiding one. There is a price to be paid and I'm willing to pay it. Happy. I'm hoping to maybe be able to buy a house soon. And when the day comes to exchange and they say, can we have your money please? I will say, fine, have it. Because I want the house. Do you see how countercultural this is? This is not right wing Bible beat, Bible belt American Donald Trump following, I'm so angry because you're destroying my country and I want it to be just how I want it to be. Sorry, I shouldn't get polit- political. It's not. You want my stuff? You can have my stuff. You want my life? You can have my life. They stood for Christ and their material lives were trashed and they had joy. This is not a one-off reading of scripture, by the way. This is all through the Bible. Jesus tells the story of a man looking for fine pearls and he finds one and he, in his joy, sells everything that he has so he can have the one pearl of great price. Jesus is the pearl of great price. And it's worth letting go of everything and the joy that you get from him can overcome anything. Hudson Taylor founded the China Inland Mission. He lost his wife, he lost children, and he spread the gospel in China. And he wrote this, It is only in the trial of God's grace that that its beauty, God's grace's beauty and power can be seen. Then all our trials of temper circumstance, provocation, sickness, disappointment, bereavement will but be given a higher burnish to the mirror and enable us to reflect more fully and more perfectly the glory and the blessedness of our Master. It is in the path of obedience and self-denying service that God reveals Himself most intimately to His children. When it costs most, we find The greatest joy. This is what he wrote after years of suffering and trial. When it costs most, we find the greatest joy. We find the darkest hours the brightest and the greatest loss the highest gain. While the sorrow is short-lived and will soon pass, the joy is far more exceeding and it is eternal. Would that I could give you an idea of the way in which God has revealed himself to me in China and to those whom I have known. In the presence of bereavement, in the deepest sorrows of life, he has so drawn near to me that I have said to myself, is it possible that the precious one who is in his presence can have more of the presence of God than I have now? What a thing. When it costs most, we find the greatest joy. Brothers and sisters, do you see this morning, do you see this vision, this glorious vision of what it can be like to face suffering? See how different it is. See how otherworldly it is. If I live like this, people would say, give the reason for the hope that you have. When you face trials, you can endure in it. You can embrace selflessness and you can experience joy. What a vision. I want this. I'm so desperate to find this in my own life. 
And so we have our next question. How can I, how can we be like that? How can I stand in the face of suffering like that? How does that happen? Christians who stand in the face of suffering, two things. Christians who stand in the face of suffering, number one, accept the light. They accept the light. Verse 2, verse two remember those earlier days after you received the light when you stood your ground. How did they stand? They received the light. What does that mean? Greek's just talking about being enlightened. It's something that is done to us. Talking about being a Christian. Seeing Jesus for the first time. Your eyes are open. My chains fell off. My heart was free. This is something for all of us. Not a select few. If you've seen Jesus and seen him as wonderful and abandoned your sin and decided to follow him, you've seen the light. Praise the Lord, I've seen the light. Hebrews 6 verse 4 helps us understand this a little bit more. It says, those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. That's what it means to receive the light. It's to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And as you see him in his word, see the Son of God slain for the sins of the world, resurrected, reigning, offering forgiveness and new life. And as that tugs on your heart, you accept it. That's what it is to receive the light. To see it and to accept it. Don't live in the shade. Receive, accept the light. Find new life in Him. This morning, if you feel God tugging at your heart and saying, do you see me? I'm worth it. Do you see me? I can save you from your sin. Don't fight. Just receive it. Accept the light. How do people endure in suffering suffering and stay selfless and experience joy? It's a supernatural thing. It's a gift of God. And it's a gift that's available to every single one of us this morning. Come to Christ today. Receive the light today. Don't wait another day. But maybe you've been a Christian for some time, but your experience of suffering is still not like Hebrews 10. Okay? You've seen the light, but you're still not experiencing the same way. Notice a couple of things there in Hebrews 6. It says, those who have shared in the Holy Spirit... It's talking about being enlightened. This is what it is to be enlightened. Who have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. Here's my question for those of us who have been Christians for some time but don't experience suffering like this. This is my question of myself. Are you availing yourself of all that is there for you in Jesus Christ? I know you're not because there's always more. It is yours promised in God. A good measure pressed down and running over. In Matthew 7 and 11 it says, God will give his Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. When was the last time you got on your face and said, I need more of your Holy Spirit. The trials are coming. I'm feeling weighed down. I'm not standing. I don't have joy. Lord, give me more of your Holy Spirit. Are you tasting the goodness of the Word of God 
That's how you're enlightened. Tasting the goodness of the word of God. Do you want to stand? Do you want to be enlightened? To be enlightened is to taste the goodness of the word of God. Recently I was at a wedding and there's a couple of uh, older ladies there. I went up to one of them. She's in her 90s. I haven't seen her in about five years. And I said, Doreen, I thought you'd be with the Lord by now. (laughs) And she said, oh, I'm still here. I'm still here, still praising the Lord. Beautiful. If you're young this morning, that's your goal, by the way, to one day be 90 years old and full of Jesus. That's the goal of life. But there's another little old lady there. Her name's Mary Rich. Her husband was a faithful man. She's dying of cancer now. And I said, how are you doing? And she said, the Lord gave me a psalm when this happened. I will uphold you. And she said, isn't it precious the way the Holy Spirit brings to mind what you need when you need it? But she said, but you know, if you don't dig into the word of God, he can't bring them to mind because they're not in your mind. Are you tasting the goodness of the Word of God? That's how you're enlightened. That's how you can stand. Give me more of the Holy Spirit. Give me more of the Word of God. And when the trials come, I'll stand. Number two, Christians who stand in the face of suffering, this is how we do it, anticipate the reward. My last point. Coming into land here, we're Verse 34, you sympathized with those in prison prison, and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. My new house, I might buy. They take it away because you knew that you yourselves, individuals, had a better possession and an abiding one. How did they stand like this? How can I stand like this? How can we stand like this? How can we have endurance and selflessness and joy? Because we know that we have a better possession and an abiding one. Because we know we have heaven. I'm 29 years old. In January 1956, a 29-year-old man died on the end of a mahogany spear somewhere in the remotest areas of Ecuador. And his name was Jim Elliott. From the time he was a child, Jim's heart burned for the unreached people groups of the world. People who had never heard about Jesus Christ. His heart burned and he had a passion for the lost and the unreached. And so in his mid-twenties, he set his mind and he left the comfort of the West Coast United States. Boom time in the United States. 1950s. Champions of the world. He left it. And with his new wife, he went to the unreached peoples of South America. And after a season learning the languages, he and four other young men, all under 30, flew in a small plane to a remote beach in the Amazon to reach the Ayuka tribe. They saw a beach and they thought, that looks like we can land. We've got to get to them. Let's land. Nobody here is a pilot, I guess, but that's pretty risky just to land in the first place. And this was their purpose, to make known the glory of God and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ amongst those who had never heard, amongst the Ayuka, who were known for their violence. The other tribes around them never went near this tribe because they were known to be violent, evil people. They had done their homework, they had sent them gifts, They had been calling out to them from loudspeakers from the plane for weeks. We're your friends. We want to get to know you. And after several days on the beach, two women appeared across the river. And as Jim and his companions began to cross the river with smiles and gifts and eager to tell them about Jesus Christ, 
a tribe of warriors, a group of warriors appeared behind them. And the trap was set. Jim had a pistol in his belt because of wild animals, anacondas, all that kind of stuff. But he and his companions had made a decision, we will not retaliate no matter what happens. They were slaughtered in the water. And they laid down their lives. They laid down their lives because for them to know Christ and to make him known and to be with him in glory was of greater value than their lives. In 1949, in his diary, Jim wrote this, 1949, 29 minus 7, 22. He wrote this in his diary. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Jim Elliot was convinced that to give his life, which is what he could not keep, was worth it in order to gain what he could not lose, eternity with Christ. It's time to be heavenly minded people. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 and 17 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, Paul, who's been beaten, shipwrecked, tortured, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. An eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Where's your treasure this morning? Where's my treasure this morning? Is it in my home? Is it in my family? Is it in my job? It's time to have treasures laid up in heaven. Because you know what happens when you do that? You get changed. And then when the trials come, you can stand. You can endure. You can have selflessness. You can have joy in it. Because your treasure is in heaven. In your presence, O God, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And have you ever noticed, again, when we're singing... At what verses does the volume rise? It's when we start to sing about heaven. And on that day when my strength is failing and the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then be it and him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? And then shall I bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. It will surely hold in the floods of death When the water's cold chill our latest breath, on the rising tide it can never fail while your hope abides within the veil. Hallelujah. What a thing. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Christians that stand in suffering anticipate their reward. The glory of it. It is possible 
for Christians to be so gripped with the truth of eternity, to be so shaped by a vision of Jesus Christ, that we become radically countercultural in the way that we face suffering. Trials are coming. Be ready. John, Pete, this is one of your tasks. Prepare these people for when the suffering comes. Because it's coming. Set your face like flint. So that when it comes, you know, the devil wants to get you with trials. Set an ambush for him. The trials have come. I know what I'm doing. I'm standing. You can endure in it. You can embrace selflessness. And you can experience joy. If that's to be our experience, and I want that to be my experience, oh God, would that be my experience? Would that be the experience of my wife and my children and my family and my children's children? Would we be a people who can stand? We must accept the light of Christ through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, and we must anticipate the reward. Fullness of joy in the presence of Jesus forevermore. Fullness of joy in the person of Jesus. He's the reward. Knowing Him is the reward. So today, if God has spoken to you, there's a lot of different things. Maybe God's called you to the mission field. Maybe He's just rearranged something in your mind to say, I can stand in this. Don't go without sealing that today. Maybe God, for the first time, has said, I'm here, I'm real. Maybe today's the day to say, I see the light. I'm going to follow Jesus. Don't go. Grab somebody, grab me, grab John or Pete or somebody up here in the worship group and pray with them before the day is gone.